words of forgiveness this week from Matthew 1. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The <coughs> guidelines for living, 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Once again, as you're able, please rise and join us as we continue our worship. Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity to give to you. As this season especially, we celebrate the indescribable gift that you gave for mankind in yourself coming to this earth. We give you praise and thanksgiving, and I pray that as these kids give from their hearts of love and desire to serve you, Jesus, that you'll bless their and their lives. Through Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen. <laughs> Oh, 
Let's come into the presence of the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a wonderful and gorgeous day that we have here, Lord, to enjoy life and to celebrate your love for us and to come here together as a body of Christ and lift up our hearts in song, lift our hearts in prayer, and to lift up our hearts, Lord, to hear from your word. We're such a blessed people, oh Lord, sometimes it's amazing to us. As we look out at the world and the many things that are going on and how safe, how comfortable, how peace we have. For the food on our table to the roofs over our head. We're just so grateful, God. For the health you give us and for the people in our lives that are special to us. Not only our church family, but our own physical family and the people that are around us. We're just so blessed. And today, Heavenly Father, we come to you with those two, Lord, that are struggling in their lives, who have difficulties. We pray especially, Lord, for our country. We pray for the leadership, Lord, that they will look to you and find the guidance that our early nation's fathers looked to you for and found the strength to go through a revolution, to go through a civil war, and to be involved in many wars in this world and be the sheriff, basically, of the world. We thank you for this nation. We pray for its leaders. We pray especially for the brave young men and women that are out there every day defending what we have. For those this holiday season will not be at a table, will not be under a Christmas tree, but will be far away from their home and loved ones because of the safety that they are giving to us. We pray especially, Father God, too, for our shut-ins. We lift up Lucille. We think of Joyce. We think of Karen, all those who are struggling. We pray, Heavenly Father, too, for Howard's two daughters who struggle with their heart diseases. I pray also for Howard, too, and his house situation, that everything will work out well. I pray also, too, uh, Lord, for those who, um, Betty and Howard, um, who have had surgery, Howard on his head and Betty on her leg for cancer, and they've removed it, but bring healing now to those big holes that they have. I pray also, too, for Everett Long and for, uh, for Samantha and for Jason. I pray also, too, Lord, um, as they battle cancer. We pray for their healing. We pray for our brother Floyd. I pray also, too, for Janet's neighbor, their family. I pray, Lord, that you watch over Brad. I pray for Nicholas, Lord, as he in January will have a surgery. I just pray everything will go smoothly, watch over him, bring complete healing to him. I pray also, too, for the officers that were involved in the shooting the other day, just give their minds peace. And having done what they needed to do, even though they didn't want to, uh, Lord, just bless their hearts. I pray also too, Father God, for Mr. Mack from our school who still battles his cancer. We pray especially for our sister Cheryl Hetherington as she's battling COVID right now and her lungs are in bad shape. Lord, I just bring for healing for her. We pray also for Gwen, be with her. Be with the students in our church that are in school and in colleges, just watch over them, bring kingdom safety. Help them to study themselves to be approved, but watch over their hearts uh, that they will see it from your point of view and see a world that you have made for them that has many opportunities for them. We pray also to Father God 
for those who we know that are battling addictions. I pray for Jordan and for David and Eric and Ricky, Mitch, and Russell. All of them are being affected by this disease. But I just pray, Father God, to look to you for strength and gain victory. I pray for Potter Ernesto, who has pulmonary issues right now. Lord, we pray for healing for him. And now, Father, in the quietness of our hearts, hear our prayers as we lift up to you those people that maybe we didn't get to write in that we can give you to, Lord, uh, that they need our prayers. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. And it's Christ our Savior we pray this. Amen. He was a super athlete at his college. Some were saying that he's going to have all-American opportunity. But as good as he was on the field, he was even better in his life. He had given his life to Christ when he was a sufferer in high school. He loved the Lord. And he loved to be part of everything. He grew so strong that when he got into college, he started his own chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Fellows on his football team looked up to him. He also started a navigator's program where they had Bible study and training and how to memorize scripture. Oh, he loved his Lord. And he encouraged devotions, prayer, spending time with the Lord alone. He helped a lot of his friends, a lot of his fellow athletes with their relationship to the Lord. But also, not only off the field, but he met a beautiful young lady who herself was a very committed Christian. She was raised in a Christian home, and in fourth grade, during a daily vacation Bible school, she gave her life to Christ. And she didn't look back. She followed the Lord. She played softball in high school and also cheered. Then she cheered in college. And she began, like her friend here, starting a Bible study with her cheerleaders, but also doing the navigators on the other side of campus. She dated a lot, but then she met that guy, this fella. They fell in love, and both of them had a deep commitment for Christ. And as her senior year developed, before the season, the football team went off and had a pregame exhibition in another state. She didn't go. The cheerleaders weren't invited. And her sorority girls had a little, basically a party. She took part in it. But what happened was she got a little bit too drunk. So much so that she found herself in one of her sorority sister's room with a fella she had never met before, drunk. And there, evidently, she realized that she had had sex with him. Now, here's a girl who had committed herself to chastity until she was married. When she realized that, she got up, ran to her best friend in Christ at the campus, and poured out to her how disappointed she was and how she disappointed in herself, how she disappointed God, and how she was hurting, and how she was going to have to tell her boyfriend. 
She said, it's odd that we had memorized scripture, Proverbs 20, verse 1, three weeks earlier, where it said, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And she said, I feel like the most stupid person in the world. Her roommate encouraged her. She went to the chaplain and they encouraged her about her guilt and overwhelming feeling. But not long after that, she started feeling sick. She started feeling like she had the flu. And she went to the clinic at the school. And she was with her roommate who encouraged her to go to the clinic. And he said, you're pregnant. Here she is. On their way back to their room. She is sobbing unconsolably. And guess who they run into? Her boyfriend. He's seeing her and he wants to do something to help alleviate her pain. He's hugging her and says, what's the matter? Did your mother die? Did your father die? Was it your brother? And finally she blurted it out. I'm pregnant. What? How is that possible? He couldn't believe it. He let her go. And she ran off with her roommate back to the room. He was devastated. He came back to his own room and was yelling and screaming and angry. Whoever it was, he wanted to hurt them and he was angry at her. He didn't want to see her again. That's what he was saying. So disappointed in her. And he began to call her Delilah, Rahab the harlot, slut. He was venting his anger. He felt so deceived, so stabbed in the back. Now you can imagine what Joseph felt when he found out Mary was pregnant. He had no idea what was going on. Here they were betrothed for marriage with parents and everybody involved. He finds out that she's pregnant. Now last week we talked about the lineage of Jesus. Matthew brought it out so that the Jews can understand the connection that Jesus had with Abraham and David and all the generations that come and how God had brought this lineage together for Jesus to be born. And we see that here in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. We also see that in Luke's gospel, we see that also come together from the line of Adam. And what we see is Mary and Joseph both were connected to the line of the Messiah. And now it all the way went back to Adam, which was the starter of this whole thing and how it brought the curse upon mankind. And what we find here that Matthew wants to bring it all together for us. He wants to bring it together for his Jewish friends so that they understand what Jesus really is about. And so he does these 14 generations, three of them in fact, and he so aligns them so they can understand how God's hand was on this all the way. 
All the generations of Abraham and David of four, 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to Messiah, 14 generations. But we're watching, aren't we? Just like the angels that day when it came about of the distress and the dilemmas this was going to cause Mary and Joseph. The problem was that Joseph didn't know, as we read today in our passage. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. When the mother of Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph was celibate. He couldn't imagine how Mary, who was betrothed to him, and the betrothal was a year period before they got married in the Jewish household, it was called the um, Kedush. The Kedushin, which was the betrothal, which was the time in which their families came together. And they talked about this marriage, but there was no conjugal rights. They kept themselves physically away from each other for a year. And they proved themselves for a year. No touching. And yet they were committed just as if they were married. And during that period also, that the family that was, she, was, she was coming from would pay Joseph a dowry called a mohar. And they would pay this money to Joseph and his family. Even though, and, and, and at this point, they are already considered legally married. And they would become finalized in the marriage ceremony, which is the hufa in Hebrew. And at the end of it, they would be consummated in a marriage. But now, the dilemma. They're betrothed to one another. They hadn't had any physical contact. And yet, Mary is pregnant. And as we read in this text, the Bible explains to us, Matthew does, that she conceived by the Holy Spirit. But nobody let Joseph in on that one. And he's thinking, she did me dirty. She was not a good woman. And what we see with Joseph here is incredible. We see the character of Joseph because he was a man of God. And even though you can imagine, some of you may have had that. I know some of you here who've gone through divorce and through some of this kind of stuff and how broken you felt when you found that out. Can you imagine what Joseph was going through emotionally at that point? Thinking that she had, and let me tell you something, as Jesus grew up, there were people who made up stories about Jesus as the bastard of Mary, who was conceived by a Roman soldier. That's what the street cred was about. And they were saying this about Jesus. But here we have Joseph whose character shows out brightly. Even though he loved God with all his heart and wanted what was right and just to take place. He didn't want to disgrace her. Look at what it says here. And Joseph, her husband, bringing a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her. Planned to send her away secretly. Joseph really loved her. He wanted the best for her, even though he was so wounded. 
so hurt. And we see in Mary's side, when if you read the book of Luke, the angel tells her and says, you're pregnant. And you're pregnant by the Holy And she says, how can these things be? She's having a hard time believing it. And then she says, as the Lord wants, so I will do whatever he wants me to do. Joseph here, trying the best way to walk right before the Lord and yet not hurt her, not disgrace her, not to put her down. And Joseph is distressed. And he knows in Deuteronomy he has the right to drag her out in the public and make a fool of her. In fact, back in Deuteronomy, if the Romans were not in control and the Jews were in control, he could have had her stoned to death. But that wasn't Joseph. He had a heart for God. He did not want to make a public disgrace of her. And so he wanted to have a divorce to her, but do it secretly. You see, he understood justice of God, but he also understood the mercy of God. And he truly was a man of mercy. You know, sometimes churches can be harsh places. Sometimes they can be wrong places, too. And the church has, over the years, as we all know, have become very lenient on sin. That's tragic. Because we want to help heal the sinner and restore them to Christ in the right way, but we don't want to disgrace them, like Joseph here. And you see, there's this balance that we need in our lives of righteousness before God and mercy. And being balanced to do that is so critical to a church. It's so important to a church. I know some churches that have taken young women and put them out in front of the congregation and said, she's pregnant. She's unmarried. And basically, let the congregation know that she's not held up to the Lord. I know one young girl who did that. Well, she's not young anymore. But she was brought before her church and she decided she was never going to go back to the church. I have another girl who had the same experience, but because she had been loved by the people around her in that church, that walked with her through that and helped her with diapers and babysitting and all those kinds of things. She's a very strong believer today and walks with the Lord firmly. And the oddest thing about that, 35 years later, her son became the pastor of that church and grew that church to the largest church in their denomination and shared that with the congregation that because of the people in that church 
who helped her see, yes, that was wrong, and she repented. But then they helped her and loved her and gave her the strength to carry on and bring her son to church and lead him to Christ. And to that day, he was the pastor then. See, we need to very strong on the truth, but we also need to have mercy. Joseph was a very faithful man, faithful to God, faithful to Mary. And even though he had felt hurt, disappointed, angry, God showed him a different way. He became an example to us in the righteousness that he held, but also the grace and mercy. He did not drag her out into the streets and call her all kinds of names. Instead, he was going to put her away quietly. Now, the key for us, of course, in the church, and this is the sad part where a lot of churches have not kept the righteousness of God up. Yes, we want to accept people who are broken and who've committed sin, and we want to love them. But we don't drop the standard that God has set before us. Many churches today have done that. We don't drop the standard, but we hold them high. But then we also lovingly and sensitively help people understand that God's way is the only way. And we kindly bring them through that together and help them bear the wood. The Bible speaks about that constantly. Do you remember what the Pharisees did? When they were trying to trap Jesus, what did they do? They brought a woman who was caught in the actual action of adultery. And they wanted to embarrass her, but they also wanted Jesus to trip. They wanted to throw Jesus' curve. But they also wanted to disgrace her in the community. And if you remember what she did, Jesus went down in the sand and began to draw in the sand. Nobody knows what Jesus drew in the sand. Some people believe that Jesus drew in the sand the sins that the Pharisees were accusing her of in their face. And that's why they all left one by one. And when Jesus finally had just her as his audience, he told her she was forgiven and that she was not to sin anymore. And that's what we need to be about. We need to show that example. We as husbands need to be understanding and standing righteously before our family, but also being gracious to them and showing them God's way of implementing that. Moms, the same way. That we keep the balance between doing what's right and continuing to do right, but also doing it through merciful ways. And as we adhere to those standards, our society is constantly trying to pull that sinful, immoral stuff into the church. You and I can see it. Sometimes I get very discouraged when I hear about Christian entertainment. It's very nice that we have great Christian entertainers, but very discouraging when you hear about some of their personal lives. Some of them walk with the Lord and others don't. And they're in it for the money. 
We see it in the church dropping standards because maybe a faithful one or they look the other way because one of their big leaders has committed sin and they don't want to look at it or they shove it under the carpet. And in this town, especially if somebody commits an immoral sin, they can go to another church of the 680 churches that are in Wichita and find a church that will sect them. Some people love when they see that because you see, they adopt a holier than thou attitude. And they look down on people. And it's not because of righteousness they're doing that, folks. They're doing that because their own egos feel pumped up because they feel better than somebody else. And they didn't fall that way. But don't they realize that they can fall another way? In fact, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. Don't look down on somebody who's fallen because guess what? You could easily fall. Don't be afraid to put yourself in that person's shoes and see why they fell. But go to them and speak truthfully to them and bring them grace and mercy of Christ. Because people, we all are people, we're sinners and we make mistakes. And now we need to pray for this balance. The question is to us is how godly are my standards? Do I really uphold the standards of God in my own life? What temptations do I have and what areas of my life that I struggle with? Do I lean toward godly standards or do I lean towards worldly standards when it's like the kind of stuff that I enjoy doing or I like to mask? And am I a caring and loving person when somebody else falls? We can all remember how Jimmy Swaggart got on the bandwagon when Jimmy and Tammy Faye were fallen, only to find out weeks later that he had the same problem, but in a different way. And so here we are. We're called to keep the truth, but do it in love. One of my favorite verses about Jesus is in John chapter 1, verse 14. And it talks about Jesus who dwelt among us. In fact, that's what this passage is about today, that God came among us because of men, Joseph. And that God, it says here, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, that he was the only one who has ever come from the Father. And he wasn't created but he came out of the same substance of God and impregnated a little woman and became a man. Which is a phenomenal miracle that we'll probably never understand fully. But it's probably the greatest miracle that ever will have take place in the universe. But then it says, and he was full of grace and truth. That's the balance. This was Joseph. And as we see Joseph doing that and handling Mary, even in his disappointed and discouraged time, and even not knowing what this is all about yet, God then fills him in. He shows him the purpose what this is all about, and we see Joseph 
takes on a whole new role. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child that you have been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he is save his people from their sins. Now all took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Here, Joseph, the righteous brother, hears these words of the angel. And all of a sudden, the world is turned upside down for Joseph. Because he gets his revelation about Mary and what's going on inside her. And you see, he, like us, and like Mary, find it hard to believe. But yet, because he knows it's the word of the Lord, he takes action right away. You see, the world doesn't understand this. And folks, as we look at this, the virgin birth is something that the world does not understand. And they will not understand because they don't want to understand it. They see it as a fairy tale. But we know that God actually did this in human time and history. We see it in the church. And you see, God works and talks to us in wisdom that is of God and not of this world. And this world will not ever understand it. I was watching TV the other day, and they were showing a situation about bilingual Navajo, the Navajo American Indians, who were used during World War II and that they had a simple language, but it was hard for the enemy to decipher. And so they used the Navajo language to send out secret messages throughout the troops that the Germans and the Japanese could not decipher. And yet they got their messages across because the people who understood it used it. And God does that with us. The world doesn't understand what we understand. And tragically, we need to stand for what is true and what the word says. But you see, a trend is taking place in our society today that is anti-Christian and anti-miracle that can't see what God can do that we know God can. The tragedy back in 2014 73% of Christians believed in the virgin birth. Today, it's only 66%. For mainline denomination people who are Christians, 83% believe it back in 2014. Today, it's only 71%. You see, the world is chewing at American Christianity. And there are a lot of young people that have gone to our churches, children, of our families who don't go to church, that were raised in the church. And they consider themselves nons when they check the surveys. And in 2014, 30% believed in the virgin birth of those nons. Today, it's 17%. Because you see, Jesus, the Bible says, is a stumbling block. He's our Savior that is with us. And that's what she's called. He's called. And if you notice, Joseph catches it when the angel says to him, Joseph, son of David. He's reminding of Joseph what his lineage was, which is that lineage. 
being part of the family to which that would lead to the Messiah. Matthew makes that very clear. Joseph understands it when he hears those key words. And that he's going to fulfill the genealogy of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, coming to the world. And that he's going to fulfill what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 7, 14. That he is Emmanuel. God who is with us. God who came among us and lived with us and got splinters and, and hit his hand with the hammer. That was Jesus. But lived perfectly. And that's this child that we worship today. And that his eternal purpose is to save his people. And there are people who come along and they want to diss that. You see, Matthew tells us what he believes. That the prophet was talking about Jesus here, the full, ultimate fulfillment of that. But you have scholars who come along and say, no, 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 no. 714 doesn't mean that. It was only for Ahaz in Isaiah's day. No, that's not true. Instead, Matthew makes it very clear what it's about. It's about Jesus putting himself in human flesh and coming and dwelling among us. So that he could fulfill all that is necessary for you and I to be saved. And that he could be this savior and that's why they name him. And Joseph is obedient he tells him, Joseph, this is the name your kid's going to have. His name is Jesus. And Jesus means, or Joshua means, God saves. And he's the one who's going to bring salvation. Not only from Moses getting out of Egypt. Not only from the Israelites getting out of the Philistines. Not only is he going to deliver, he's delivered the Babylonians from them. He's also delivered the Assyrians. He is going to deliver mankind from the passage of bondage that they're under, which is sin. And he's going to free them. And that a new era is going to be born through this line, Dave, of David, which is Jesus Christ. And that this is what's happening right now, Joseph. And what does Joseph do? He kicks it in full blast. He gets on it right away as a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. As a faithful servant of God. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. And Joseph woke from his sleep. And did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. And let me tell you something, when he did that, he got a lot of flack. But he knew what God was telling him, and he was obedient to it. But kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Joseph wakes up, and he immediately acts upon what God wants him to do. When he hears the word that God is with us, that Jesus is going to save the world, he's on it. And it's a very strong key in his life, and that's the life we should have. That as soon as God gives us things that we're to obey, we jump on it full blast. He was a man of faith, but this was going to really stretch him. But he was willing to step up because God had called him to do this. And that this young woman was having birth, that's a virgin. That's giving birth to a baby. He stands by her, walks for her, he provides for her, he brings her safety. He takes her to Egypt so that they don't get killed. 
because he knows what he's got here. And today, as we look at the word of God, he was willing to step up right away. You know, one of the things that's hard for us to do sometimes is to step up right away. Sometimes we read God's word and we kind of willy-nilly and we worry, you know, well, should I do this? Joseph didn't do that. As soon as he knew what God wanted, he was on it. You know what? Sometimes when we procrastinate on God's will, we're showing disobedience. And God wants us there. And Joseph was that kind of guy. When he found out the plan that God had for him with Mary, he was full throttle to do what the Lord wanted him to do. And you see, that's because he understood God's plan. And that's the way we need to be. Today, as we leave here today, I pray that God will give you the wisdom to hold the standards of God high. And that you strive to live the life that God wants you to and hold them for your family and for your children and for your friends. Some of them will try to work the way around you and try to get you to go other ways. It's very easy to happen. But that we realize God's word is eternal. Remain and stand for it. And that in that we also apply God's grace. And we help people to see that God is not an ogre here. He doesn't want to stand over you and say, do, 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 do. But he's a God who wants you to have the best out of life. Don't cheat yourself with secondhand stuff from the world. Because that's what easily happens. And that happens to Christians because we become so comfortable with this world that we lose sight. And that we apply the grace when brothers and sisters fall and they realize maybe God was right when he told us what to do. And that we don't need to be 21st century Pharisees, but rather that we understand ourselves. Are willing to lean to God's way? Am I willing to hold on to God's standards? Am I willing to care for people and really love them even though maybe they're fallen? they're broken I know a friend is close to us he made a very bad mistake and he had some people stand up for him even though he had sinned bravely but over the course of the years God convicted his heart and he realized he was wrong and he came back to the people who helped up the standards to him. And they loved him. And they watched him grow in Christ and be a different person. Because he finally realized what he had done. Oh, he denied it for a long time because he had what he wanted, what he thought was right. But he had to wait for God to teach him the lesson. And in God's time, he did. And when he was finally broken, he came back to those people who held the standard. And they loved him back to his feet. And today, he's a man of God. He's in a situation right now that's very difficult for any 
spouse to go through, but he still walks that way. He's dealing with a situation that would be very hard for most people to deal with. But he continues to do what the Lord wants him to do and continue to help that person whom he loves so dearly but is so broken and confused. That's the obedience that Joseph showed. That's what he's learned today. That we understand, and as he's come to understand what Joseph found here, which was the reminder that as he walks through the difficulties of his personal life, and it's a not an easy answer to his situation, that he knows God is with him and he obediently continues to walk, even though it's through a very difficult situation personally for him that he has to deal with. He's very successful in this world's point of view, but there's also an issue in his personal life that's very difficult. But because of the love of Jesus Christ and his obedience to him, he continues to ask the Holy Spirit to give him the strength as he deals with the situation every day, which is very difficult, but he still loves the person. And folks, that's what we need. If you're going through situations like that, the Holy Spirit is there for you. God is with us, we're promised. And that he goes to the Jesus Christ who divides the world. His history is very clear. He's got the power of the universe. We know that. History is divided by B.C. and A.D. And I know the world doesn't want to recognize that, but he is the pivotal point of all history. And yet Jesus Christ is the most astounding man that ever walked this earth. Not only has he taken history and changed it, Western world is a wonderful world, very ahead of all other civilizations. Why? Because Christ changed that. Well, there are a lot of people who are using and, and experiencing very much wealth and, 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 and success in this world, but it's all because of Christ and how he changed the world way back in that first century. And that also he had a mission. And that mission is for us. That mission was that he could ransom our soul. Matthew says this in the end of his book in Matthew 20. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So that he could give his life a ransom for many. That's us. Because he knew that it's easy for mankind to become captive of this world, of Satan, of our selfishness. And we're seeing that every day on the streets. And if you watch the news, you see day after day that selfishness is burgeoning out of people. And letting it fly. Hurt, killing, death, all that. The Bible says he came to ransom us. And that is like saying, you know what, we've been kidnapped. Kidnappers come and they take people hostage and they hold them. They want somebody to pay for them for their freedom. 
And that's what Jesus did. He came to ransom us from our sin and give us life. There's a beautiful little story of a little boy who had made this beautiful little sailboat. And he glued it and he worked on it and he made it so nice. And then he had a nice sail on it and he thought, boy, this is wonderful. And then he took it to the lake near his house and he put it in the water and it began to pick up steam. And continued to float. And he went around the lake with his friends trying to find it and they never could find it. He thought forever that it was gone. And then one day he was downtown and he saw this antique shop and there in the window was that little sailboat. 20 bucks. How am I going to get 20? He goes into the guy and says, hey, I made that. That's mine. I don't know that's true. If you want it, though, you can have it for 20 bucks. And that little boy went wild and taking cans of and, and getting the five cent nickel for them and got a paper route. And finally, he saved up to $20 and he had convinced the, the, the guy who owned the store to keep it aside. And he went back and he bought that sailboat back. And when he got done, he said, you're mine. You're twice mine. I made you and I bought you back. And I remember when I was 16 years old, God, who created Dave Henyon, came back and said, Dave, you're twice mine. I paid for you a second time, and I bought you back to be mine and to have eternal life. And Jesus paid the ransom for all of us so that we could be free and to live for him. He redeemed us back. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you so much this morning for the wonderful example you showed us through Joseph, a man who really lived for God. But we also want to thank you, Lord, that you brought to this earth your son, who is God with us, and didn't come just to show us how to sacrifice, but rather came to redeem us back and give us eternal life. And that we're twice yours once you created us. And now we're reminded that you redeemed us back. God, we're so thankful. Help us, Lord, to live for you every day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's rise together and close with our benediction. And, our closing song. and now God who created the light, turn it out of darkness. Give your light in you to shine for Jesus Christ everywhere you go. Amen. Praise God